here in person or online, it's great to see you. If, if I haven't had a chance to meet some people clicking on out there in the digital world, my name is Peter. I'm one of the guys who serves on staff here in the role of lead pastor. And if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you because you're newer to Calvary or just visiting, uh, guess what? My name is still Peter and uh, I get to serve on staff here. It's great to see you. So excited for the opportunity we just had to worship together. Um, <clears throat> and it's always great to open up God's word and think about what he has for us. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to do that right now. So let me pray. Father, um, thank you once again for the opportunity to come. Thank you for the affirmation of hope in you. Um, and that we can trust you and depend upon you and that you're with us. And uh, Father, I just pray as we open up your word again that we come expectantly, we come eagerly, we know that you want us to know you. And so I just pray that you will continue to speak to us through your text and uh, bring encouragement, bring challenge when needed. Uh, but I do pray that it will just be clearly communicated through the power of your spirit through where we find ourselves today. And we want Jesus to be honored and glorified. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I loved um, <clears throat> that psalm that Brandon referenced, right? The reality that in the great moments of our life, when the sun is shining like it is today and everything's great, that God is there with us. And then the other reality that's in that psalm is throughout the Bible that there's also moments when we're in the valleys, there's moments when the sun isn't shining, uh, perhaps just emotionally, and, and even in those moments, God is there, and the reality of the Christian life, and even if you're not a Christian, the reality is, man, there's ups, <clears throat> and then there's downs, and there's maybe in those down moments, or maybe just when you look around at the world around you, there's questions that can be raised, right? And Questions that maybe, especially this past year, you, you just look around and you think, well, why is there so much conflict? Why is there so much conflict in our culture? Why is there so much conflict in maybe some of your friendships? Why, perhaps, you ask yourself, is there so much conflict even in my marriage? Why does it just seem, maybe you've had moments where you've asked this question, why does it just seem like life is just hard? There's things that go the way they're not supposed to go. There's pain <clears throat> that we experience. In life, why do tragedies occur? Why are there hurricanes and earthquakes and floods and tsunamis that impact the lives of innocent people? Why is there sickness when those test results come back? Or when you're sitting in a bedside in some hospital next to a friend or you're at a memorial service for a friend or you hear a story of someone you knew or who, who died much too early, you might ask your questions like why <laughs> like like why is this happen why does this occur maybe you ask yourself why do we keep struggling with the same sin and maybe there's something in your life that you want to overcome you want to stop doing but you just keep wrestling with it and you're like man why is this happening to me and for all of those questions there's there's perhaps some, some sociological reasons, some medical reasons, some psychological reasons, some political reasons that provide some answers and insight, but there's definitely a theological reason that addresses each of those questions that we asked, and that's what we're going to think about. That's what we're going to press into today. We've, like Brandon said, been walking through a series in the Old Testament, and Usually at Calvary, what we do is we pick a book of the Bible and we open up that book and we go verse by verse, chapter through chapter through that. We're not doing that in this series. What we're doing is we're opening up half the Bible and we're not going verse by verse through the Old Testament because <clears throat> I would be even older than I am now because that would take us about 42,000 years and we would all be dead, right? But what we're doing 
is we're saying, hey, maybe whether you're a Christian, whether you're not Christian, whatever your deal is, man, maybe you know one story from the Old Testament. Maybe you know 20 stories. Maybe you don't know any stories. And, and the question is, okay, with these individual stories, how do they all fit together to build upon each other and to tell one bigger story? And that's what we're thinking about in this series that we'll be in together. For the past few weeks, we talked about creation. And we talked about Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and how God created everything. And, and what we saw was this, that God, man, he, he created these boxes. He filled those boxes with things. We're in God's image. We talked about that all last week. And then God comes to a point where he looks over everything that he made. And he looks over everything that he made and he says these words. He describes it. It's described this way in verse 31 of chapter 1 of Genesis. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold... It was very good. God makes all this stuff. God starts all this stuff. God frames out all this stuff. He looks over all that stuff and he says, man. He probably didn't say man. He said, this is very good. This, the world I made, the things I've put into place, very good. But the reality for you and for me this morning is we wake up every day and we see things around us that aren't very good. And how did the story go from very good to many times very challenging and very hard and very bad? Well, the way that happened is what happens in Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 3 is what caused things that were very good to start to go in another direction. And here's the big takeaway, right? If you're a note taker, if you want to scribble this in your Bible, Genesis chapter 3 is a part of... uh, the biblical story that the theologians refer to as the fall, the fall of man. <clears throat> and here's the big takeaway from Genesis chapter 3. It's that sin broke everything. Sin broke everything. And the rest of the Old Testament is the story up to Jesus of God trying to put the pieces back together, of the process that God has to try to fix everything and redeem everything and to make everything right. And that process is still ongoing today and it's going to be continuing until Jesus comes back today. Sin broke everything. And and the question that becomes in Genesis 3 is this, well, why? If these people who were made were in this environment that was very good, if they're hanging out with God, mano y mano, womanio and mano, if they're in God in a relationship with, with connection, well, why did they decide? to do some things, to cause sin to come into the situation, to break everything, right? What, what were their attitudes? What were their perspectives? What were their thoughts that contributed to that? And equally as important, not just knowing what it was in them <clears throat> is a question for us, but what is it for me that causes me to sin? What attitudes, what perspectives do I have that cause me to disobey? What attitudes and perspectives do we have when we choose to disobey? And so we're going to walk through Genesis 3. We ended with a man and woman. They're they're in the garden. They're tending this garden, right? We saw that their job was to work it and to keep it. And they were God's representatives there. And we're God's representatives. And there's this idea of, look, you guard this sacred space. I'm passing it off to you. You're in charge while I'm not here. Take care of it. And when God gave them that opportunity, he also gave them this kind of this command, some framework, some guidelines. And he gave them some kind of rules to follow in Genesis 2, verse 16. And here's what he said to them. And kind of pay attention to this because we're going to come back and look at it again. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So man and woman, they're in the garden, they're tending the garden, they're working it, they're keeping it. They have these, these, these guidelines in the background. And what happens next? Well, what happens next is Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, <clears throat> where we're introduced to this other character. And it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Serpent. It's pretty clear here that this, this character of serpent is actually referring to who we would refer to as Satan, right? We, we know that because if we look at the last book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible helps put some context into the character in the first book of the Bible. And Revelation says this, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. Here's what the, the writer is saying, like, hey, there's this enemy who we refer to as the devil and Satan, but there's also these, these metaphors, these terms that have referred to him, the great dragon, and then linking all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the serpent, the serpent. So this, this enemy comes on the scene, this Satan comes on the scene, and, and it's interesting, right? The idea of this talking serpent raises all sorts of questions, it, there are thousands, there are millions of trees before the digital age that were killed, writing books, talking about this, and blog posts. There's lots of discussions about, well, a talking serpent, blah, 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 blah. And it's really interesting because the writer of Genesis isn't really concerned with answering all the questions that might arise with this. What the writer of Genesis is concerned about is what the serpent said, what Satan said, his words. And so what did the enemy say? Here's what he said. He comes up to Eve. And he says this in the continuation of verse 1. <clears throat> he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? The, the inference, what's behind that, is the enemy comes up and says, I mean, come, come on. I mean, real, really? I mean, did God really say that? I mean, it's just like a tree. Are you sure he said that? I mean, he couldn't have meant that. Did he really mean that? I mean, what, what, that doesn't even make sense. Why would he say that? The enemy starts to come up, and he's like, yeah, I don't really know about what God said. Hey, Eve, what, what do you think about what God said? Last week, we saw that God's word had power. God's word, we've seen in the past two weeks, has power. And this week, where the enemy comes first is to attack and to question God's word. And he's asking Eve to assess it, to evaluate it, to run it through the grid of her logic and her ideas and what makes sense to her. And Eve's willingness to engage in this is kind of this first step on this pond that's a little frozen over with ice that's not going to hold her, that's going to crack beneath her feet and lead her to a place she doesn't want to go and here's kind of what we see in this from Eve's story, and we're going to pull some things from the story, the true story, about what sin makes sin more likely, what, sin, what makes sin more likely to occur. And here's the first thing we see. Thinking that God's word is subject to our assessment. <clears throat> now, that doesn't mean that we don't try to understand it, that we don't evaluate it, that we don't press into it. But it does mean that many times the first step to sin is when we think that God's word is ultimately subject to our assessment. There's different approaches that you and I can have to this. 
And what some people have is an approach that's like this, where we're over it. We're over it. We're the authority over it. Another approach that people have is this. Well, we're equal to it. Like, yeah, there's some good stuff in here, but it's not, we're, we're not better than it, but it's not better than us. We're, we're on equal terms. And we'll weigh it, we'll think about it, we'll take from it what we want, but other parts we don't like. And there's a third place to be where we're this, where we're under the authority of God's word. In my f- church in which I served in Savannah, our first pastoral hire, uh, I was down there with my buddy, we were playing this church. My first pastoral, our first pastoral hire was a guy named William Kane. William Kane. William Kane. Do you guys remember High School Musical? Okay, wow, that was a resounding. <clears throat> there were three of them in case you missed one or two. High School Musical, like Zac Efron. William, I, William Kane and Zac Efron were like twins, right? This dude looked just like Zac Efron. We hired him. We had a bunch of uh, kids from the Savannah College of Art and Design. We hired him to kind of be our college pastor, hang out with college kids. And, but interestingly, before William came into the ministry and joined us, he was a caddy on the PGA Tour, a professional caddy. He caddied in the years before coming to join us. His, the tour guy, the tour player that he caddied for was a guy named Webb Simpson. Back when William was the caddy for Webb in the years around that, Webb Simpson was actually one of the uh, biggest money winners on the PGA Tour for a particular year. William came to us. He was a caddy. And and here's what I learned about caddies. When you're in the tournament, when, man, things are going on, what the caddy does is the caddy makes suggestions to the golfer. The caddy will do his little thing with those cool little, like, binoculars, whatever. I don't even know what they are, right? Throw grass up in the air, whatever, right? Look at that little mystery book that you never really know what it says. And then the caddy will say, hey, Mr. Pro Golfer, I think you should do this. I think you should hit this club. I think you should lay up. I think you should go. I think you should do a stiff arm roll up. Here's what I suggest. And then you know what? The caddy, I mean, the pro golfer is the one who ultimately decides what to do. The caddy's just there to help make some suggestions, but ultimately it's the pro golfer who decides the way we're going to go. And here's the reality. God is not our caddy. God is not there to just make suggestions about what he thinks we should do, but then we're the pro who's actually going to decide whether to take the advice or not in the end. In this moment, Eve was kind of treating God like a caddy, kind of assessing what he said, whether she thought she should comply with that. And you and I, we get in all sorts of trouble when we start treating God like a caddy. Now, some of you may be like, ugh. You're telling me I have to obey God like this. Oh, man, I feel like I'm... Oh, that's so restrictive. Listen, God knows what is absolutely best for every single one of us in this room. God loves you deeply, and God is good, and God knows what is best for us. And so it's not someone who's trying to put us in the worst place position. God is someone who's trying to put us ultimately in the best place. And you and I have the opportunity not to assess that, not to weigh that, but man, just trust it and obey it. The enemy comes to Eve and he says, hey, let's talk about what God said. 
<clears throat> let's weigh it. Let's assess it. Let's evaluate it. Let's process it. How does Eve respond? Well, now Eve starts to recount what she remembers about what God had said to them. She starts to do that. She starts to engage in this dialogue in verse 2 where she responds and she says this. The woman said to the serpent, and now she's going to, again, recount what she remembers God says. We may eat of the trees, right? We may eat of the fruit of the trees that are in the midst of the garden. We may eat of the fruit of the trees that are in the garden. Is that what now? What did God actually say, right? Let, let's pop this up and compare it. Here's what God actually said, the first kind of commands I read to you. Look at what look what it said here. You may surely eat of every tree. Oh, but by the way, there's one you shouldn't eat of, okay? But before he says all that, he's like, man, let's not worry about what you can't do, right? Let's talk about all these things that you can do. Surely eat every tree, huge like freedom and flexibility and blessing and goodness. And then what Eve does is she comes along and she takes out this word and she takes out that word. And she's like, yeah, we, we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. See, see, what Eve's doing here and what we many times do when we start moving towards sin is what makes sin more likely to occur is not just when we start evaluating God's word, but also, when we overlook all of the freedom that God gives, when we overlook all the freedoms, all the everies of the Shirley's that God gives. If you're a parent or you're a grandparent, you've probably had the experience of someone overlooking all that they can do, right? How many times have you <clears throat> been with your kids and your kids are like, oh, there's nothing to do. I'm so bored. There's nothing for me to do in this house. And you're like, bro, I have spent like $240,000 over your life on stupid plastic toys. There is plenty for you to do. You got a Nintendo Switch. You got this talking elephant. You got Legos. You got a basketball court. You got scooters. You got bikes. You got things you can go outside. You can bake something. You can read something. You can draw something. You can cross it, right? And they're like, yeah, I know. There's like nothing to do. Right? It's like they're missing all of these things that they can do because, like, they just don't have that pony that they want to ride on right now. And what Eve's doing and what we do when we sometimes process God's command, listen, this book has so much freedom and grace in it. God created an environment and things within that environment and relationships in that environment for us to enjoy within the proper context. But, but sometimes what we do is what Eve does, and instead of thinking about everything there is, we just kind of overlook that. We overlook all the freedom that we do have. Hand in hand with this is the next thing that Eve does. goes right along with it, right? And she continues to recount this, and she says... So we, we, yeah, eat of the trees, verse 3. But God said, <clears throat> you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Now, let's compare. Did God say anything about not touching the tree? No. What God said is, flip back one if you don't mind. Flip back one more. Oh, go ahead then. I'm confused. 
Okay, here's what he said. My, man, you guys nailed it. I'm an idiot. Here's what it said. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not what? Okay. Is there anything else after that? Well, I mean, there is. But no, no other restriction in that moment. And that's not because we forgot to put it in there. It's because God didn't say it. But what does Eve do? You shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it. It ain't not, ain't God didn't say anything about don't worry about going to touch the tree. Eve is adding to what God said. And Eve is adding to what God said in a way that makes what God said more restrictive and more burdensome. What often leads, what led to her sin, what often leads to our sin, is when we make God's commands more restrictive and burdensome than they actually are. Tons of grace and freedom in this book. There are things that God said, hey, it would not be wise for you to do those. It is hard enough not to do the things that God says we shouldn't do. Why are we making any additional things onto that? Now, we've talked in the past about how there's things that God says not to do and to do, right? Then we've talked about how there's guardrails that maybe we shouldn't do certain things to protect ourselves from driving into sin, right? There's wisdom in that. But the guardrails or the convictions aren't biblical commands. And what Eve is doing is layering on something more. And she's analyzing God's word. And she's thinking, man, there, there's not a lot that I can do. She's ignoring all the things she can do. And then she's making it more burdensome what God told her to do. Is that all she does? Nope, because there's a few more verses. She, she then makes a comment about what would happen if they disobeyed. Here's where she says that in the continuation of verse 3. Right? <clears throat> She's recounting, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree, there's a mist of garden, neither shall you touch it. And then she talks about the consequence. This is the consequence she remembers, she's recounting, lest you die. Is that what God said? Once again, guess what? It's not, because here we see, right? Here's what God said. Look, lots of things you can do. Enjoy those. One thing I don't want you to do, and if you do that, then when the day you eat it, you shall surely die. Now, in the Hebrew, we've mentioned this a few times, right? There's not all caps, by the way. If you post anything on social media in all caps, I think that's a sin issue, okay? But that's another conversation for another day. There's not all caps. There's not bold. There's not italics. There's not the little yellow highlighters. So what the Hebrew writers would have to do is use the words themselves and the sequence of those words in order to emphasize certain points. So in the Hebrew, what's being emphasized here is this consequence. And interesting, the Hebrew, like, it's like Yoda talk, right? It's like, if you eat, surely you, you surely, right? The surely's all over the place out of order to emphasize that this is absolutely going to happen. When God says it, he says, look, Tons you can do if you choose not to. There will, ap I'm just being straight with you, he said, there is absolutely positively going to be a consequence that will come. Don't miss that. But when Eve has grabbed a hold of that 
and she thought about what God says, she, she completely leaves the power of the consequence and the significance and the weight of that out. And she minimizes the consequence. Another thing, another step towards sin over that pond that can't hold our weight and what makes sin more likely to occur is when we minimize the consequences. I've said this before, and I've said it before because I've heard it from another pastor who said it before, but, but here's the reality. Adam, Eve, you, me, we are absolutely free to choose our sin, but we cannot choose our consequences. You, as a free individual, have uh, me. God says, do it, don't do it. We have freedom to decide if we're going to obey. We can say, nope, I'm going to sin. We can freely do that. But once we do that, the horse is out of the barn. And then we've lost control of the consequences. And I want you to get that. And I want you to get that because you could talk to any pastor. And, and man, when we minimize the consequences of things and choose to do things, many of us have ended up or will end up in places we never want to be. And I say this because there have been times in my ministry where somebody's come in and they've talked about a choice they have and we've looked at what God's word says about it and they're like, yeah, that's good. Nope. <clears throat> I got it. I'm like, bro, you, I mean, you do what you want. I'm just kind of what the book says. Right? Nope. I got it. And then they go out and they make a free choice to disobey God. And then you know what happens months later, a year later, they come back and they say to themselves, I wish I'd listened. I wish, not to me, who cares about me, but to God. Because they'll say, man, I've found myself in a place now where that day when we talked in your office, I never thought I'd get here. I never thought this choice would impact and ruin my family the way it has ruined my family. I never thought my choice of whether to be ethical at work would have the impact on my career that it had. Or I meet with people in their 60s, their 70s, who their lives now are, 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 are a jumble. And they look back and they say, man, there was this choice I made and then this choice I made and this choice. And, and, and for decades I did things that God wouldn't have wanted me to do. And now I'm in the position that I am in. And I can't go back. And I wish I had done it differently then. Listen, I'm not up here to be some revivalist Baptist preacher slamming the thing. I'm, I just care for you. And I care for myself. I care for us. I don't want us to be in places that we don't want to be in, wishing we can go back and turn back the clock because we can't. And you and I and we, we live our lives one choice at a time. Every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every year, every decade, we make choices. And where we end up is often a culmination of the choices that we've made one choice at a time. Eve minimized the consequences. And she took another walk on the shallow ice that's about to crack underneath her. 
And the enemy sees this going on, and, and he's like, yeah. Right? Have you ever played uh, Jenga, that tower game, where you pull the little things out, and then all of a sudden it crumbles? He's like, man, I just know that block that, that Eve's about to pull out, and I got one more block, and when I pull this one more piece of wood, this whole thing's going to crumble around her. And here's the last thing that happens. He starts engaging with her. He starts discussing with her. And, and in response, here's the reality, verse 3, um, 4, and 5. He's now talking to her, and he says this. But the serpent, verse 4, said to the woman, Oh, yeah, you're not surely going to die. Interestingly, he recounts the significance of the consequence, but he's saying, no, you're right. There won't be any consequence. You can manage it. You can hide it. I mean, it's just you and Adam, and like, oh, boy, where is that? You, you, nobody needs to know. But then he goes a step further. He says, hey, there's, there, there won't be a consequence. And oh, by the way, there's actually going to be something better for you that comes from doing this. This is what he says this, right? You're not surely going to die. Then verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What he's saying is, Eve, <clears throat> there's an upside to it. There's an upside to it. There won't be any downside. There'll only be an upside and oh, by the way, it kind of seems like God's holding out on you. It kind of seems like if all this good stuff is there and he's telling you not to do it, man, he must not care for you. That's what's, that's what's being infused here. He's causing Eve, sowing the seed of doubting God's heart, of doubting God's motives. Of having her think, okay, God isn't trying to do what's best for me. Having her think, God is trying to keep what is best from me. Here's the last thing from this about what makes sin more likely to occur. <clears throat> when we doubt God's motive and heart. When we doubt God's motives and heart. Here, here's the list of these steps that Eve took. First thing was thinking that God's word was subject to our assessment. The next thing was overlooking all the freedom that God gave. The next thing is making God's commands more burdensome than they actually are. Then she minimized the consequences. And then she started to doubt God's motives and heart. And this, these are the steps she took. And it's all about to fall apart underneath her. And so here's the question for us this morning. Am I, are you, facing this crossroads in your life between what God says to do and what you want to do? Between what God says, this is what I want you to do and I want you to obey me, and you saying, no, this is what I want to do, and I don't want to obey you. And maybe that means taking a job or staying a job. Maybe that means telling a lie or being honest. Maybe what God says is, man, you love your spouse well. And what you want to do is respond to the text of that person who gives you butterflies in your stomach the way that your spouse who you've been married to for 10 years no longer gives to you. Are you in a moment where you're at a crossroads, a fork? between what God says and what you want. And if you are, do you have any of these things rattling through your mind and your heart? 
And if you do, if I do, be careful. Be careful. Because we live our lives one choice at a time. And this is a trajectory to choices that ultimately aren't best for us, that will have consequences that we can't control. So what happens? Well, here's what happens. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was there with her, and he ate it. And in that moment, everything changed. A while ago, uh, I don't even know how many years ago, there was this big nuclear explosion in a Russian town called Chernobyl. Some of you have never heard about it. Uh, Ironically, some of you have probably studied it in school. Others of us lived it. We remember it. And this nuclear reactor had this meltdown. And in that moment, nuclear radiation, boom, spread out through the atmosphere. And what started to happen weeks and months after that is we started to see pictures of like animals that had these birth defects, like two-headed frogs and 52-tailed snakes, right? And we started to see people and babies who had birth defects and people whose health, because what had happened was, boom, in that moment when the radiation went out, it touched everything, and it changed everything. And in the moment when they ate, it changed everything, because sin touched everything. And nothing would be the same until one day God's going to make it all right. What happens? God looks and first thing he tries to do is find these guys. You can read about the rest of the story before the playoff game today. But, but Adam and Eve used to be so close with God and dwelling with God. And now there's sin. And it's the fall because that sin causes them to remove themselves and to be away from God. And they fall. And then what God says is, man, what have you guys done? Let me tell you the impact that this is going to have. And so I'll read to you the impact. He, he curses the snake. He tells realities to Eve and realities to Adam about the way that the radiation of their sin has changed their environment and their lives. And this is what he said. The Lord God said to the servant, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Let's pull the impact. Here's the bullet points about the impact of sin. First of all, there's this loss of, of a relationship between God's spiritual death. It changed in that moment. But that's not all that's changed. Satan is cursed. And then he says to Eve, there's going to be pain in childbirth. 
And then the next thing he says to Eve is, hey, Eve, your relationship with Adam, it was very good, but guess what? There's now going to be conflict. And what starts to come into the scene is conflict in every relationship that trickles out. But between man and woman, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be power struggles. There's going to be, there's going to be male unfair domineering. And that, that conflict between the spouses is soon going to spread to the family because in Genesis 4, we see a brother is going to kill a brother. The next thing that happens is creation itself is cursed. God says to Adam, Adam, you guys broke everything. You guys broke everything. The earth, all that I made is very good, now has that paint of sin splattered all over it. And creation is cursed. Now, this is an important one. Do you know why there's hurricanes? Do you know why there's tsunamis? Do you know why there's natural disasters that kill people? Because the earth is broken. And a great verse in Romans that talks about how creation itself is groaning to be fixed. What does this have to do with us? This is what it has to do with us. Every time there's a natural disaster, There's some pastor from somewhere that'll get on TV and with absolute, maybe not even TV, Twitter, and with absolute certainty, they will say that the reason this happened in this particular city is absolutely because God is only judging the people in that city. We gotta be careful. Can we with absolute certainty say that? We can't. What we can say with absolute certainty is that Man, bad things happen to the earth because sin broke everything. And then he continues and he says, Adam, you're going to have painful toil and work. And then there's going to be physical death. Physical death. I I love this. And what I pointed out of the first service is the Bible is pretty well written. Just didn't know if you knew that. Here's why it's well written. Because when Adam and Eve went into this thing, they thought, man, we're going to eat this deal and we're going to be divine. We're going to be like God. We're going to be little mini gods. And what God at the end of the story is reminding us, bro, you you ain't no God. You're a fallen man who now is going to suffer death and sickness and illness. And from dust to dust, you will return. But amidst that, there's hope. Amidst that, there's grace. Because there is this breadcrumb dropped in, in God's comment to the enemy. And God's speaking to Satan about Eve and children. And he says this to Satan. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And one day, one of her kids, one of those seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, what he's saying is, look, Satan, man, you had your moment where you caused this Jenga tower to fall down and it's a mess. But let me just tell you something. One day, a woman's going to have a baby. And that baby. He's going to fix it all. And and you're going to get a swipe in at that baby. You're going to hurt that person. But you know what, dude? He is going to crush your head and be the beginning of everything being okay. And baby after baby after baby after baby 
throughout the Old Testament, the people who clung to this would ask themselves, is this the one? And throughout the Old Testament, more layers were put on about truths about that baby and promises about that man and hope for who was going to come. And in the coming weeks together, we're going to walk that story and we're going to see what goes on. Next week, we're going to talk about Noah and Dan Darling, our executive pastor, is going to man, unpack that for you. And then a week after that, we're going to talk about Abraham and how God through Abraham made the first step to fix everything. And so I'm going to bring Dan up. You'll get to see his ravishingly handsome face two weeks in a row. Um, but <clears throat> for those of you who may not know Dan, he, again, serves as the executive pastor in the, that role. Man, he essentially runs a place. And a lot of the business pieces, a lot of the facility, a lot of all the operations that you guys never see, man, Dan uh, helps make all that happen. And his role here is kind of uh, built upon over 40 years of ministry in all sorts of different facets. And uh, recently, he kind of shared that after 40 years, he was planning on retiring. And now, like I shared the first service, I know that none of us retire from serving God. Okay, don't email me. But he is going to kind of retire and uh, serve God in other ways, in future ways, but maybe just not get a paycheck for it. And so um, we wanted to share that with you. And Dan, I'd love for you just to tell yeah, us. I appreciate that. I just wanted to share with you that's what's kind of going on in our lives. Uh, as I share with the first service, when I was 20 years of age, I received a letter to an, uh, an invitation letter to come to Portugal. Uh, to be a missionary there with the pioneering team for Word of Life Camp. And uh, we were, I, I was very excited. Kathleen and I, and I got married just shortly thereafter at 21. And at 22, we were on the mission field. And uh, incredibly so, that was 45 years ago this April. And so God has done an amazing thing. It's been an incredible journey. It's kind of hard to think it's been that, you know, long. So we've really been believing that God wants us to begin to kind of step out of uh, the full-time role and get into some other things. But most importantly, uh, my mom, who is 92, living in Florida, her health has been failing over the last couple of years. So uh, I had two older brothers, no sisters. Uh, one brother died of lung cancer. The other brother, unfortunately, has kidney cancer. And so it's us. And so we've just been sensing uh, God's uh, move in our hearts to begin to get down to Florida, which we will do in a couple months, and begin to uh, walk her through as many, many of you in this room have done. And that is walk your elderly parents through to what God has. And I know she's going to be in heaven one day. I'm excited for her, but this time frame, we just need help, and she needs that support. And so we have chosen and went to the guys this week and said, we, we just feel God's moving in that direction. So we'll be retiring here. Uh, we're looking probably about the mid-March to, to move to Florida and, and take care of mom and, and do some other things, but mainly to be able to take care of mom, and, and we just appreciate your prayers on that. But it's been a joy, been a, been a great privilege to be here. We love serving God. We've loved serving God here at Calvary and being able to just participate with you and, and help in any way that we can. So thanks. Cool, man. <clears throat> you did that both times. Well, uh, man, our team and me personally, we're, and I know a bunch of you, just deeply grateful for how Dan, without a doubt, has helped further God's work here at Calvary and a bunch of what you uh, benefit from. 
would not have happened if it weren't for God working through Dan. So we're very grateful for that. This is not like his farewell. When we send him off, we're, man, going to pray over it, he and Kathy, and, uh, you know, really work well in the next few weeks to think about how we can honor them and send them off well. And so we just did want to let you know, right? Want to continue. We always try to be transparent and as transparent as we can be. So just kind of let you know about this next season of retirement. And maybe this will be his last snow on Tuesday is to deal with. Maybe I should move to Florida with him. I don't know. Uh, but uh, so on your way out, man, he'll be out there. Just a chance for you to thank him. So I'm going to pray and we're going to wrap up and then you can go make your chili before football this afternoon. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, truth about sin and thank you that you are a good God and you do know what is best for us. And I do pray that you will, with the, with the power of the Spirit, really, Father, work within our hearts so that we, we trust your goodness so that we're more inclined to obey. And Father, I just pray that you'll be with the darlings in the next few weeks and months as they uh, make the plans and various details that you'll continue to go before them um, and just help them to have a a wonderful new season with his mom uh, and just great memories still to be made. So thanks for your love. Thanks for your sovereignty. Be with us today. Amen. Well, I won't say you're dismissed because people tell me that offends them because they're adults. It's not my role to dismiss you. So I will just tell you this concludes our service. And you can do with that what you want. See you next Sunday. Thanks for being here.